Welcome back to Innovation Alchemy with the Adams. I'm Adam Fry, sitting in with my co-Adam, Adam Castle, and we're here to wrap up the first arc in our podcast series. If you haven't heard the first two episodes, stop right now, go and listen to them. I, I think we'll wait. We'll wait for them. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait definitely wait. If you've decided to push on or you want to refresh, Adam, what do we get into in episodes one and two? Well, episode one's all about taking the idea from your head, turning it right into the impact. How do you make this real? How do you get it out of your head? How do you make it real? Episode two is all about if you've got a business, how do you create that growth engine behind it using a 30, 60, 90 day milestone tracker? Very cool. And that's something we teach all of our clients here at WeTech that come in the door is really how to plan to get ahead. So on this week's episode, we talk with Randall Schwartz and Truber, co-founder of Bincentry, who called us from their HQ in Kitchener and Waterloo. And now Bincentry is a company involved in solving a near ancient problem in agriculture and making big waves in the industry by producing something that is truly disruptive. However, you wouldn't know any of that because you decided to miss the well, third episode come on of now. our show. I was out making innovation. You, innovation were, you were spreading was the gospel creative. of innovation. That's right. It was left, being... right, and center. So while I wasn't able to do it, I did listen. Listen, Adam, and I do appreciate the think? conversation. I it was nailed fantastic. It, right? What's great out of the water? What's great about Randall? What's great about Randall and Ben Century uh, is that they've been through this process with us. So, what we talked about in podcast number one, what we talked about. Sorry, in podcast yeah, number that's two. not what I was asking. How great did I do? Oh, yeah. I mean, you were fantastic, but Flawless? you always are. Well, flawless. I'd I mean, you're close, pretty close. All right, pretty I appreciate close. it. But no, Randall and Ben Century have, have been through these steps with us. So they they've been have. through the whole spectrum. They had an idea in their head. They turned it into something really cool, put a growth engine behind it. They brought on funding. They got a team. Their revenue is soaring. This is a really exciting conversation about how you can get your business started and up and running and how you can scale it rapidly. What I really like about Randall and his story is that when they first came up with the product, what they really needed to focus on was the business business model. And so at the time they were one of the only people doing this hardware as a service, software as a service sort of combination of things that really got them to these huge pilots with massive sort of feed merchants within uh, within Ontario. And so figuring out the model for them was sort of paramount to really moving it forward. So they already had really cool tech, but how are we going to sell it and make it sustainable? And you're going to hear about that in this conversation coming up. So uh, I can't yeah. wait to share it with everybody. Without giving too much away. Now, Adam and listeners, you may have noticed that our intro music's just a little bit different today. We were actually spoiled with a local group called MZTF. They're a trip-hop duo headed up by Tiffany Budway, who's a singer-songwriter, and Ryan Lewis, who's a producer and beatmaker. Now, that song was called Intentions, and you can hear more from them right now. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hi, this is Tiffany from MZTF. You're listening to Liar, and you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Music, and all other streaming platforms. So Randall, thank you so much for joining us today on Innovation Alchemy. Uh, you're our first official guest that we're having on the podcast, uh, and we're so pleased that you had, uh, were able to make the time to talk to us today. 
Awesome. First official guest. I'm, I'm very uh, honored to be the first on your show. Absolutely. So uh, we actually have two Adams that usually host the show, myself and Adam Fry, my colleague. Uh, Adam, unfortunately, can't be with us today. So we're, we're doing this first interview uh, with Innovation Alchemy with Adam, uh, just one of us. Uh, and uh, and we're going to go through some pretty amazing uh, stories that you have for us today. We're so excited to share. And so I'll tell you a little bit about how we're sort of setting up the podcast so we can uh, really have a great conversation today. And and really what sure. we've done is is broken down this podcast uh, into sort of three parts. So every three parts, we sort of pick up a new theme. Uh, and so this this last arc uh, has really been about growing your idea to impact and then growing that impact into an actual business. And uh, when when I think about, you know, growing a business in those terms, no one really fits that build quite like you have, especially uh, in your journey over the last few years. Uh, and so I, I really am excited to have you here sharing it today. I'm excited as well. That's gonna be it's gonna be a fun conversation. Fantastic. So so let's dive right in. Uh, let's get a bit of an intro of who you are uh, and and your own personal journey. Sure. Uh, my name is Randall. I'm the uh, CEO and one of the co-founders of, of Bin Sentry. Um, and we've been hard at work building our Internet of Things feed monitoring technology now for well about three years unofficially, um, two years maybe just a little bit more officially. Um, but I come from uh, a background in programming of, of automation equipment where I worked for about a decade prior to uh, getting into founding this business. Um, in the past, in my past life, I sort of worked as a, an automation programmer doing home automation. So it was kind of a cool job, actually. We would go into massive homes uh, where they would get ridiculous AV systems. And occasionally we'd also go into commercial environments. But for the most part, it was in really big homes and they'd have touch panels all around the home and audio systems systems and video systems with all kinds of distribution all over the house. And my job was to program those systems, design the user interfaces. And yeah, it was actually at that job that I first heard about the very niche problem that we ultimately ended up um, working to solve here at Bin Century. That's fantastic. And, and now I know you sort of started in that tech space, but but even before that, uh, you started in a very different place, which I always love getting into this because uh, yeah. myself, I started out as a social worker uh, and now yeah. I'm working with startups to advise them. So, uh, you yeah. know, tell us a little bit about that transition, which is uh, really sure. interesting. Yeah, no, no problem. So that actually plays a huge role, I would say, even in our business philosophy um, today. And uh, it sort of guides the the company that we're trying to build. But um, prior to doing the automation stuff, I actually worked as a, a youth pastor uh, as a church. So um, I am a Christian. Um, I have been for, for much of my life. I worked at camps growing up and I knew that I really had a passion for working with young people. And the sort of form that that took was uh, eventually in a church, uh, running a youth group, planning their events and all of that kind of stuff and sort of acting as a mentor. To, to a lot of young people. For many years prior to the automation stuff, um, that was my life is, is sort of mentoring and working with the young people. That's um, wonderful. Yeah. And so that, that always has been something that I'm really passionate about. Um, well, today you're going to get the opportunity to preach again. Talking awesome. about how you grew this business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Bin Sentry, you guys have tackled this amazing problem uh, in agritech and, and so, or agriculture rather. And agriculture, yep. obviously, one of the oldest uh, industries in Ontario, uh, one of the first to have set up. And, and really, they've got some, some pretty ancient ways of dealing with some of their biggest problems. So, what is this problem that you have sort of come in and decided that there's this huge opportunity to solve? 
Yeah, good question. So I kind of already hinted towards uh, the fact that I was working as an automation programmer uh, when I first heard about this particular problem. Um, and so that happened, I would say, about three years ago now, when uh, the boss at the company that I was working at went to go to a local feed mill here in Ontario. And uh, I think it was to quote some sort of automation system for their mill or something like that. Um, but over the course of their conversation, the owner of that feed mill um, mentioned to my boss that you know, it's great that they, they could get this automation system, but there's one problem in particular that really has plagued the feed industry for quite literally the past 40 years. And he said, you know, you look like a techie, you are a techie, and I wonder if you might have any ideas on how we could solve this problem. So he told that feed mill owner that he personally didn't have any ideas on how we might solve that problem, but he actually has an employee mm -hmm. who has um, done a lot of, you know, electronics projects and, and like to uh, sort of do hardware hacking, as it were. Uh, and that employee gotcha. ended up being me. So the problem that this feed mill owner described um, is this, and it truly is a, a problem that, that affects feed mills uh, around the world. Um, so feed mills are producing animal feed, and they are contracted by their customers, um, who are typically farmers or producers of livestock, to produce feed on their behalf and then deliver that feed to their farm. The problem is this. Once that feed is produced and transported to those farms, it's put inside of these giant bins that are called feed bins. And once that feed is inside of those bins, the only way that a feed mill has to know how much feed is left and how much feed has been consumed by animals on farm already is literally to have that farmer uh, grab a mallet, walk out to the feed bin and start pounding on the side of the bin, trying to listen for where it sounds hollow and where it sounds sort of solid sounding. And if you so hear that, that doesn't insult, sound very precise. No, it is extremely imprecise. Um, and that's that's precisely the problem is that um, feed mills are relying on farmers to, number one, you know, go out and grab a hammer, pound on the side of their feed bin and listen, which gives them at best an estimate of how much product is inside of that bin, uh, which our uh, research has shown is, is oftentimes um, inaccurate by as much as three tons. And so there, and keep in mind, a feed bin holds somewhere around 20 tons. So when you're, wow. you know, inaccurate by say like anywhere from 15 to 30% of the entire capacity of the bin, that's very bad. Um, so Randall, so, I'm a feed mill and yes. I'm supposed to deliver feed to all of these mills, right? And, and I know right. it could be upwards of like 20,000 uh, bins, right? That, that are yep. potentially within my, my, uh, my range. So yep. if I'm relying on the farmer to bang on the side of the feed bin to do this, then what happens if they're over or under and I have to over deliver or I have to under deliver? Yeah. Doesn't that throw off my entire day? Absolutely. And worse yet, what happens if that farmer forgets to check altogether, which really is, is the biggest problem. Right. Um, so as a feed mill, you're basically at the mercy of that farmer to number one, check their bin in the first place. And then number two, you hope that when they do that, they're actually reporting inaccurate information. Because one of the interesting pieces of this puzzle is that all feed mills typically produce a custom blend of feed for each one of their customers. So you can imagine if you're a feed mill, trying to produce and deliver this feed before that feed bin goes empty, you absolutely need to have advance notice and accurate advance notice and able to produce that feed in, in an efficient way and then get it on a truck and transport that feed in an efficient way without making, say, you know, 10 trips to a location that's 400 right. kilometers away from your mill multiple times a week. Uh, and so this so, is starting to sound like a billion dollar problem. Yeah, it, it is a huge problem that feed mills face on a daily basis. It's really interesting and, and one of the things that we see here with the, the innovations that 
end up being the most uh, impactful are what we call, they sort of come from what we call paper problems. And so it's yeah. this idea that, you know, there's all of these things in industries that have been around forever that are still being done a lot of the times with pen and paper, right? Old styles mm -hmm. of processes and systems uh, that really, really have uh, all of this opportunity to be more efficient, to be more process driven or, or data driven uh, as it is. So it's interesting that you found this uh, because we're seeing that sort of echoed uh, throughout our work with with uh, small startups uh, in Windsor and Essex and, and even some of our larger uh, SMEs as well is is now they're getting into the nitty gritty of solving these paper problems and they end up being incredibly lucrative uh, because they're, they're, they're some of the oldest problems these industries have, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, a lot of tech startups like to, to throw around the word uh, disruptive when they're characterizing their technology. And I think you're, you're absolutely right, Adam, that the types of problems that you describe, these paper problems, end up being not just disruptive in the sort of cliche sense that a lot of startups use that word, but in the truly, uh, in the true sense of that word, they are completely flipping industries upside down and enabling them to see uh, and realize efficiencies that for the past, you know, like I said, four decades, they couldn't even begin to dream about. Gotcha. Okay. So, we have our billion dollar problem. We've got our paper problem that we've decided could be uh, an incredibly disruptive opportunity. So how do you go from having that idea to putting out that first product version that you can actually test yeah. uh, at some point, uh, either in the field or in sort yeah. of in the, the wild as well? Yeah, well, that was a long journey. And um, it started out in my kitchen, uh, believe it or not. So um, when many journeys do. Yeah, exactly. In a garage. So it, ours transitioned yeah. from a kitchen to a garage, as I think is pretty uh, typical for a lot of startups. Yeah. Uh, and now we're in we're in our nice offices. But um, three years ago, it started out in my kitchen. And um, the genesis of our company was talking to my boss about this particular problem. So he came back and he said, Randall, I talked to a feed mill owner today who described this problem. And he says that if someone could solve it, it would solve the worldwide problem. And I distinctly remember laughing at my boss and naively um, responding, come on, I said, Connor, there are no truly universal problems anymore that have not been solved. Uh, and I could not have been more wrong. So that night I, I said to Connor, my boss, I'll hop on um, Google, we'll do a search for you know like 10 minutes or something and we'll find the technology that this guy's looking for. We'll send it his way and we'll have a happy customer. I went on Google that night and I searched for almost four hours and did not find anything that I felt would suitably solve this problem. And so that's sort of where my journey began. I started to uh, try and figure out and understand what is the problem exactly that these feed mills are trying to solve and how does it end up costing them so much money that they would actually be willing to, to go out and you know buy what may be an expensive product to solve this problem. And I began to piece together different pieces of hardware that I thought might have the potential to adequately solve this unique challenge. Um, so we began with I mean, I don't even know how many versions of prototypes <laughs> we must have gone through now. But it's it's definitely somewhere in the in the 100 neighborhood. We've gone through a lot of different designs, um, and in fact, I think you know there was a point probably about nine months or ten months into the development of this where I sort of said, I think I've got this. I finally solved this problem, and it was at that point that we actually went to a couple feed mills and proposed this. Um, they responded very favorably and said, let's get a pilot project started. And we realized at that point in time, we were nowhere near to solving this. <laughs> so um, 
probably another uh, year and three months of, of prototyping went into it after that point. Um, and now we can confidently say that we are the developers of probably one of the world's most comprehensive and uh, innovative solutions for this problem, if not one of the only really viable solutions. That's fantastic. And and I know you've, you're growing your team as well. You've got so many exciting things going on. And, and so right mm-hmm. around that time also is, is when we met, funny enough, was, was about, yeah. uh, you know, two years into it, you had your first yep. product or, uh, yep. you know, you were just starting to test out in the wild yep. there. Um, right. And you brought in uh, one of your early, uh, I believe, one of your early prototypes um, yep. and sort of explained it to me. Um, yep. and, and at the time you were looking for, you know, how do we make this a scalable solution as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's questions around sort of making that technology scalable and making sure that yep. um, we can create sort of a, a lasting uh, device that isn't going to, that is going to be able to the sort of weather the weather uh, inside yep. those bins as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Our earliest versions of this, I would say, um, I mean, we, we really struggled actually with figuring out the right model to market this. So we had a piece of technology, but the other big part, and I think that the part that is a little bit, um, I mean, I'm not going to say innovative anymore because there's a lot of companies doing SaaS out there now, but at least in agriculture, the concept of implementing some sort of like a, a software as a service or a hardware as a service model, it's, it's still sort of foreign to them. But I think we actually we implement a hardware as a service or software as a service model. And I think that's one of the things actually that has mm-hmm. um, allowed us to differentiate ourselves and really see a lot of success in the industry. So that's been pretty um, instrumental to some of our early successes as well as feed mills want this technology, but they don't necessarily have uh, the huge amounts of, of capital that would be required just sitting around to be able to spend millions of dollars up front to actually purchase the hardware and implement it. So the fact that we offer them this um, this ability to monitor feed bins as a service enables them to sort of um, you know spread that that cost out over a number of years in the form of a monitoring contract, and it enables them to not have to worry about uh, maintaining that hardware. We do it on their behalf. So that also was pretty uh, core to us actually lending on a technology that would actually work for feed mills. Yeah, I think too. You know, when you're talking about you know a hundred versions of the product. Uh, and it's a hardware product, and and hardware is notoriously uh, hard to get right. Um, yeah. And and so one of my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, talks a lot about uh, iterative genius. So this idea yeah. that um, you know true genius oftentimes is is thought of as that eureka moment, right? Where aha, yeah. I've solved this huge problem. Um, yeah. But if you look at sort of the history of the world and the history of products that have really changed the world, uh, you'll see that it's it's that iterative process um, that really makes the most sense when entrepreneurs are entering into, yep. uh, you know, uh, uh, a discovery sort of process to figure out how do you how do you overcome these challenges or these pain points that an industry is having. Yeah. That iterative process is so important. Um, now, talk a little bit maybe about the team that you decided uh, you needed to put together around this because this is another really important part. Is um, you know, if you want to go far, you go together. If you want to go fast, you go alone. And and yeah. this idea behind the fact that you know your team is really um, has come together, and I think that that's one of the most unique parts about uh, your business is you've got this team that's just incredible. Uh, they're all superstars in their own rights. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and that I, I would absolutely say. So so we have the technology, we have this great idea, but I still think that you are nothing as a startup if you don't have the right team. 
There's no question that that has been the one thing that has enabled us to really push this forward uh, and build a solution that I think really does adequately solve the problems that feed mills face on a daily basis. And I think the thing that has enabled us to build that team is really just having a compelling vision for what we want the company to be. And I think that sort of comes back. I mean, it's really exciting to be building um, a piece of technology that solves real world problems as well. And that undoubtedly has attracted a lot of our team to our company. But I think people want to be a part of something bigger than just building hardware. They actually want to do something that um, has the potential to, you know, without wanting to sound too cliche, change the world. Um, Of course. And that really is uh, what, you know, the desire is of of both myself and my co-founder. we we're trying to build a company that you know is able to to generate wealth so that we can then go and and take that wealth and we can bless the communities that we're operating inside of that we can you know enable our own employees to realize their dreams and we recognize that maybe their dream isn't to be a computer programmer at bin century for their entire life if they have some other crazy idea that they want to do then we want bin century to be like a springboard for them a place that we can enable them to you know for a time be a part of this awesome team where we can mm-hmm. equip them with these um, the ability to to build something really really cool and to to work collaboratively towards building and learning how to build a business and then sort of send them out into the world so i think one of the things that has attracted a lot of our team members to bin century is this opportunity to participate in something that that's bigger than just a feed sensor and that i mean obviously is the thing that enables us to do this ultimately is, is building that cool technology but being able to be a part of a vision that goes even further beyond that to actually affect people's lives uh and really change the world is what has attracted a lot of those team members to to work here with us at bin century towards taking this product around the world that's so wonderful and, and really what you're talking about here is culture and it, yeah. what I find sort of most interesting about that is um, when you're sitting across from uh, a startup, oftentimes when you start talking about culture, sort of eyes glaze over a little bit because I'm a startup. <laughs> yeah. It's too early. I'm trying to think of products. Yep. I'm trying to solve yep. these big problems. Why do I care about culture? Really, it's just yeah. me starting out anyways. Um, yeah. But we always sort of teach our clients that uh, there's no process too redundant to start early because when you don't start early and you try and install these things later on, it becomes very difficult. It's a really sort of messy process to do this later. So thinking about that culture and vision from the very beginning and building around that as you've done, I think is, is one of these major sort of milestones that have, that have made you so successful, which I, I love that that sort of part comes out naturally when you talk about it. Uh, cause it's something that's so important to myself as well. Yeah. So now as you were growing your team, I know you had experience with the Mars Embedded Exec program. Um, And so tell me a little bit about that and and sort of the the amazing talent you were able to leverage uh, through participating in that program. Yeah, um, the Mars Embedded Exec program was absolutely awesome. Um, I don't know if if your listeners would all have background on what exactly that is, but it's essentially a grant program that enables startups to um, see some some government money to hire a a C-level employee or or an upper-level employee to sort of accelerate the growth of their company. And for us, 
that opportunity came along at literally the perfect time. Uh, it I was, think it was all about you. the timing there, right? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Like the timing was absolutely perfect for us. And I think you were the one that pointed that out to us when we were meeting with you one point in time. Uh, and so we went through the process. It's sort of a, uh, a competitive application process where you sort of have to pitch your company, as these often are. And uh, we were very you know, blessed that, um, that Mars and, and the greater network of innovation centers recognized that we were building something that you know, had the potential to be really cool. And so our technology was sort of validated a little bit and we had an opportunity to, to get this grant money, which um, enabled us to hire a sales director. And so in the early stages of our company, we were sort of like, we had the whole world in front of us. We were ready to go. Our customers in Ontario were rearing to get the technology and the ones that had it were giving us a lot of positive feedback. And for us, the next step was now, how do we take this global? Because we, we recognized as we started to do, you know, more in-depth market research that that feed mill owner from the very beginning was not in fact wrong. There is an entire world out there who also struggle with this exact same problem. Um, and so we kind of realized at, at some point that we were at a crossroads. We could just be that company that was offering this in Ontario and uh, run the risk of some other company out there and who knows where solving this problem and eventually, you know, moving into our territory and pushing us out. Or oh, for sure. we could be that global company. And so that was sort of a, a moment that Nathan Howell, my co-founder, and I sort of looked at each other and we said, well, are we up to the challenge? And we both sort of said, heck yeah, let's do this. Uh, and it was right around that time that Embedded Exec enabled us to hire another sales director to to really catapult us into those next stages of our company's growth. That's fantastic. And, and I think really uh, when we talk about timing as well, so your idea comes at a time when food security uh, and growing food and growing, uh, you know, as well, livestock uh, is so important. There's more people on the planet than ever. Uh, we're facing mm-hmm. some, some truly sort of large challenges when it comes to uh, climate and the way that's changing. Uh, and so growing reliable sources of food has become paramount, right, to, to the survival of the entire planet. And how we sort of do that moving forward, I think technology, uh, especially technology that solves these paper problems like the one you have, uh, I think that's such a, a, a blaring beacon of what could be in the future is really providing lots and lots of efficiency to make sure these systems can continue to scale at a global level as well. And, and I just love that you you sort of had that that moment where you looked at each other and you said, yeah, let's let's take the whole thing. Let's go. Let's go universal with this, uh, yeah. which is just fantastic. Now, so from the, the first time that we met and I remember our first phone call. It was about an hour long, and I was driving home from somewhere. Uh, I think I was actually in Waterloo driving home yeah. uh, from from some training, uh, and we had this great conversation. And the minute I hung up, I was like, "Wow, man, that's he's got something." Uh, <laughs> and I remember talking to you really clearly about, "Okay, so let's put all of this into a 30, 60, 90. Let's get the next 90 yeah. days of milestones yeah. sort of, uh, you know, hammered out. Make sure we know what that that roadmap kind of looks like for us." Yeah. Um, um, and, and I know that that's sort of a practice that you continue to do today. So talk yeah. to me about the kind of milestones and metrics uh, and goals that you set for your company that has really yep. helped propel you forward. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I would say that, that those goals and those milestones at that point that you're referring to are probably a lot different than what they are now. 
Absolutely. Um, at that point in time, we were just looking to literally validate the technology and build our customer base. So we had some people, some mills that were gracious enough to work with us through some pilot projects early on. Um, they helped us to, to develop the technology as well as the software that really adds the value. Um, and then it was all about like in that 60 day plan. All right, let's turn some of these pilot projects into paying customers. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's when Jason came on board to really help us. Jason as our sales director helped us to capitalize on some of those early opportunities for sales. We now, um, it, it's actually been absolutely incredible. And, and I still sort of just have to step back and, and marvel at how this has all come about. But we've been incredibly fortunate in that we don't have to do very much marketing to develop brand awareness for our product at all. We've you know competed in some international uh, ag tech competitions, which we've done very well in, thankfully. But word has really just spread organically. And so what we've had the privilege really of doing is, is being able to the problem that we face is how are we going to scale up effectively? And so a lot of our goals sort of revolve around that. We know that we're going to have, you know, thousands of sales of our of our technology coming in in the next couple of months. So how do we make our technology stable and reliable enough that we're going to trust it if we're shipping this thing off into, you know, the Middle East or we're going to trust this technology to keep on running in spite of the fact that we're nowhere near it when we ship it right. to, you know, South America. And so a lot of our of our goals and milestones right now are okay. This is what we need to achieve. We need to achieve hardware stability. And the way to do that is to, you know, develop uh, over the air firmware update. And so we write these things on a whiteboard and we uh, set a timeline for when we think we're going to do that. And we, you know, figure out, plot the course of action to actually achieve that. Um, And then we just start working. And honestly, I, I would feel like, and this may be a little bit unorthodox, but we're not really the type of company that works towards goals just to achieve them. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it sort of comes down to that culture thing, I think, Adam, and, and casting a vision. And it's sort of like why everyone on our team has this understanding of why we're trying to achieve this thing. We want to be a company that has a reputation for innovation, a reputation for being uh, you know, active and present and charitable in the communities that we're working inside of. And that's mm-hmm. why we want to achieve these goals. And it's a really interesting thing. But when when that's your motivation, you almost don't have to like put timelines around achieving those objectives. Everyone just rallies behind it and, and yep. works, you know, to the best of their abilities to try and make that thing happen as soon as possible. And thus far in our, our company's development, that has seemed to work really well is just, you know, making sure that everyone in our team has an understanding of the culture that we're trying to build. Everyone's just highly motivated. Of course, yeah. You know, I've I've had the privilege of working with you know 300 companies plus uh, in our region, but also studying um, sort of the success of other companies around the globe. And and you're hitting on something that that I don't think you said might be unorthodox, but I don't think it is. And it, it's that idea that um, when you have this really strong, wonderful, true north at your core, the other things do tend to fall at least a little bit into place or it makes it easier when you're trying to transition from a medium-sized company into a larger company into having you know problems like you were saying with uh, or challenges uh, you know sending out your product around the globe uh, which is an incredible challenge to have right um, yeah, from where yeah. you were three years ago but but a challenge on the last and I, th- I think as well um, when you have that kind of thing at your core it makes those challenges easier to um, 
easier to take perspective of, right? Because uh, we're all faced with challenges in business, in life, uh, personal and relationship wise. Um, But if you take a look at at what's at your core, it helps you put perspective on those challenges and and makes, you know, mountains seem like molehills or at least like smaller mountains at times, right? Um, So tell me a little bit about some of the other challenges that you're facing now, because the challenges that you face at your size are so different from the challenges oh, you faced in your kitchen three years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's a whole different world of challenges that we're facing now. Um, but I mean, it's, it's funny because some of them are still exactly the same. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you said earlier in the conversation that, that hardware is notoriously hard. And I would absolutely echo those sentiments. We know firsthand. Um, I think they say, and I don't know exact um, you know numbers around this, but I think they say that it's already highly unlikely for a startup to really succeed. A lot of things have to go right. Timing has mm-hmm. to go right. You know, there, there's a lot of things that have to come together uh, in order for startups to succeed. And I mean, I'll, I'll honestly say here, and this isn't just plugging uh, WeTech. One of those things for us has been being connected to WeTech. That has been one of our keys to success. But um, a lot of things have to go have to go right. Um, and when you're a hardware company, I, I think the failure rate for hardware companies is even higher than just traditional software companies. And so the cards really are stacked against you, which is why mm-hmm. I said earlier, having a solid team is of the utmost importance. Um, so one of the things that I would say has remained constant throughout us um, building this technology, and I try to be really transparent about this in the hopes that you know some other technology companies out there are going to be able to empathize with this and right. know that, oh yeah, we're not alone in this because honestly, there have been so many times that we've been up against a wall from a tech, from a hardware perspective where we've been like, are we the only people facing these challenges? And we've been lucky enough to be connected with lots of other amazing um, hardware companies in our region. Um, and, and we've also had the benefit of being able to sit down with them and hear from their founders. Guys, you are not alone. We've, we're all going through these same challenges, so don't lose hope. And so what I would say right now um, to any of those other hardware companies out there is hardware is hard. But keep at it, and I'm telling you, if you can, if you can just keep on going, the rewards when you overcome the challenges that you're facing are going to, they're going to become those things that set you apart from any other company that's trying to achieve what you're trying to achieve. And so, I mean, right now, an example of that is, and it's absolutely, you know, crazy. We have thousands of devices out in the field now, and this winter, uh, when the first week of November hit. We all of a sudden saw the batteries, our, our device is battery powered and solar powered. So the sun mm-hmm. charges up our battery. First week in November hit and all of a sudden across like 60% of our devices, all of a sudden we saw the battery levels declining and we were like, what the heck is going on? This is like a massive problem. Um, and so it was basically all hands on deck for like three weeks trying to figure out exactly what our problem was. And in the end, we found that there was some sort of like crazy firmware bug that somehow slipped out, you know, beyond all of the testing that we were doing, Of course, um, which like, luckily for us, it was just a matter of, you know, flipping a bit and we were able to fix that problem. But mm-hmm. the, the logistics of this problem are, are, are nonetheless, um, you know, small or, or nonetheless huge, I should say, um, because right. of this problem. So, I mean, th- that's one of the problems or challenges that we face now. And I'm convinced that if you're a hardware company, you better be prepared for that. Um, your, your hardware undoubtedly gets more reliable, but there's mm-hmm. always those things. I mean, you see it for a couple of years back, there was the Xbox that was failing at a rate of 50%. And that's Microsoft building that thing. 
Uh, and so, and then Samsung a couple years ago with their batteries, like even the biggest companies yeah. out there face these challenges. I would honestly say though, that, you know, you can overcome those things if you're willing to, to, you know, rally around each other, come together as a team and just fight. And, and that is really what it's all about. I think that yeah. scrappiness is one of the best characteristics of a, of a hardware startup is be willing to just work and spend a lot of time brainstorming. You'll be able to do it, but. That's awesome. So you're being so inspirational. I, I think your pastor is showing a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So when you look at sort of where you're going next, it seems like what's helped you sort of build to this point has been connection, right? Density connection within yeah. your team, density yeah. connection within sort of our network, within the networks that you're around. Uh, because, you know, this idea that that every company out there should be fighting against one another, uh, I think is antiquated. And, and we're seeing a lot more Absolutely. collaboration, um, yeah. especially when it comes to our tech community as well. And, and it sounds like mm -hmm. that's been uh, such a huge key to your success as well is, is, you know, making sure you're colliding with other incredibly inspired and passionate people yeah. working on big problems as well. Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt that that has been one of the things that we have counted on the most as we've scaled up this company is mm -hmm. the, the expertise and the wisdom of people in other companies. And I, I think you're absolutely right. This notion that you have to be like competing with other companies is, is totally antiquated. We, we are exactly the opposite and, and our hope, and primarily because we've benefited from a lot of other companies who have been willing to help us out along the way. Um, but as a result, we now see the value in being that same way and are looking for every opportunity that we can to pay that back and serve as, you know, mentors or advisors or even just sources of information for other people of course. that are, are founding companies. I think that's a really important network just around yourself with. That's fantastic. So, so Randall, we're going to gaze into the crystal ball a little bit here and, and take a look yep. at the future of Bin Century. But before we do that, you mentioned you guys had competed in an international uh, egg competition and you said, uh, and I quote, we did quite well. Um, now that is the most humble of all approaches <laughs> yeah. to answering that question I've ever heard. You didn't yeah. just do well, you absolutely smoked it. So tell yeah. us about that experience. Uh, I know you're heading to the Thrive Egg Accelerator uh, in the Valley sometime very, very soon. So yeah. tell me a little bit of that exciting chapter. Yeah, so um, we we were lucky enough to be uh, accepted into a Thrive Egg Tech uh, competition that was hosted by SVG Venture Partners and Forbes. Uh, and that mm -hmm. took place down in Indianapolis. It was called the Thrive Midwest Pitch Challenge. And so I think there was a few hundred applicants from around the world that um, applied to be a part of this uh, competition. We were one of five uh, that was selected to to be a finalist in that. Um, so back in September, we went down to Indianapolis and uh, competed in a number of pitch competitions that were judged by um, by Forbes, and we were lucky enough to come out the other end as winners of that. Um, so that I was wouldn't say lucky incredible. enough; you deserved it. Yeah, no, we worked really hard. In fact, uh, it's funny we we were up until I think 3 a.m. the night before um, the big pitch competition, like refining our pitch. We made a whole bunch of changes wow. and. Obviously, in the end, uh, it paid off for us. We, we were one of the winners of that competition. We actually tied with one other company who have become really good friends of ours and we work very closely with now. Um, but yeah, we, we won. Uh, and so we were able to get a big Forbes press release and we won the Forbes Innovation Icon Award because of that. Uh, and it was an awesome experience. So yeah, we look forward to, uh, to seeing how that affects our company's growth in the future. That's incredible. And, and so what do you see 
for 2020 for Ben Century? Where, what is that going to look like for your, you and your team? Yeah, well, um, a lot more growth, I think, is probably going to be the, the you know, focal point of, of our efforts over the next year. Um, good answer, got, good answer. Yeah, we've been able to, to get the attention of some pretty large, um, you know, global agricultural players who um, mm. operate in the animal feed industry and in animal nutrition. Um, and those companies are coming to us requesting um, different various forms of partnerships and, and distribution agreements. And so my expectation would be that I think we're going to take this product around the world very quickly with the help of some of those companies. Um, so that's really that's exciting. Incredible. I think, yeah, we'll probably grow our team by almost double over the next year, which is also insane to say. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Well, Randall, you've created something here that's that's obviously remarkable. It's obviously making waves in in all of the right sort of niches that you've created it for. Um, I I just have to say on a on a personal level, it's been obviously uh, an honor and a pleasure to see this grow um, from what it has, you know, two years ago. Uh, and and to be completely honest with you, I'm so excited to see where you go next uh, because I think really the sky is the limit for Ben Century, um, and it's just going to be such a, a a wonderful journey to watch. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I've got to say as well, uh, thank you for for all of your help, your guidance, your wisdom and insight along the journey because. Uh, there's no doubt that that has uh, helped us to get where we are today. So thank you. Uh, the pleasure has been mine. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I know you're uh, you're all over the uh, the North American continent right now, um, and I'm sure you have to get back to work. So uh, thank you again for joining us on Innovation Alchemy, uh, and I, I cannot wait again to see what comes next for Ben Century. Awesome. Thanks very much, Adam. Take care. Boom. Nailed it. What did I tell you? I flawless. Told, you were right. Absolutely flawless. Absolutely flawless. Yeah, I don't even know that I need to be on the pod anymore, to be quite honest. Maybe no, just you, for these intro outros. You add so much to every conversation we have. Uh, I was lost without you, truly. Yeah. Well, you did a great job. Thanks for filling in. Uh, thanks for allowing me to go out on a limb by myself there. So, Adam... Where are we bringing the podcast next? What comes yeah, next? What's I mean, the next arc? Our next arc. So first of all, thank you to everybody who's been with us through the first arc. The first arc was a labor of love, a lot of fun. Big shout out to John Mark for doing the production for us. Yeah. And our five listeners. We couldn't yeah, be all more five impressed you, yeah, much, by your dedication. Much appreciated. And of course, a big thank you to Randall and Ben Century. Those folks are real busy over there. So Huge. taking the time out to do that, really, really important. Absolutely. The next arc we're going to be taking a look at is startup sales. So we're going to be taking a look. We're going to break this out into three different podcasts with uh, with an interview at the end, much like the same layout that we had here. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be diving really deep into sort of the methodologies of sales. And, and this is go. great because sales is something that we love a lot here at WeTech. And it's something that we teach a lot of to our clients. It's such an important skill and something we find is that not a lot of people are fantastic at it. So hopefully we've got a lot to teach you and there's a lot to learn in these next three episodes. So stay tuned. Yeah. So subscribe, send us a note if you've got any feedback back for us we're always open to it and uh, we'll see you at the next arc take care oh.